Today on Ag News Daily. It's craziness. I mean, this is all, all the political reasons. Uh, and there's really no, there's really no other purpose for it. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I'm one of your hosts. Delaney Howell, joined as always by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, what do you know today? Oh, boy. I know it's raining again across Mm -hmm. much of the Midwest. I know a lot of folks are still racing to wrap up harvest, and a lot of those combines are sitting idle today. Yeah, and I was watching the news this morning, and it looks like we might even get some snow later this week. No. Yes. No. Unfortunately. Shenanigans. I know. It's not fun, is it? No, that's horrible news. But it is November, and that's usually when that kind of thing gets started. Yeah. But we're going to have an exciting week ahead of us, aren't we, Mike? We are indeed, Delaney. Do you want to uh, let our listeners know where we shall be? That's right. We're headed to Kansas City, the home of the world's barbecue. I don't know. I just made that up. I think it's actually like the barbecue capital of the U.S., but we're heading there Oh, boy, I think Memphis would disagree. I don't know. little Casey barbecue. Uh, we're heading down for the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Convention. It's an annual convention. Really, honestly, one of my favorites that we go to every year. Yeah, well, that's good. It'll be it'll be interesting. Hopefully, we'll catch up with some other farm broadcasters, hear mm-hmm. what is going on with agriculture around the rest of the country. And listeners, we've got field reporter Bruce Gorder. We'd love to have more field reporters. You've all got phones. They can all record high-quality yeah. audio. If there's a story going on in your state, and your community, um, let us know. We'd love to, to have you on to talk about it. You can be the, the man or woman in the field bringing us an update. That's right. That, that great little ploy there. Plug there, Mike. Yeah, it's not a ploy. It's not a ploy. We're, I'm in a plug, uh, yeah. Not not probably going to pay you, but you'll get your name out there. No, we'll pay you a little bit. We're there not going to make a million dollars. You heard it from Delaney. She's the money bag. So if she says <laughs> we can pay you, then we can pay you. <laughs> to be well, negotiated. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, TBD is the yeah. pay rate. Um, right. And then <laughs> other duties as assigned. Mm-hmm. But Delaney, what news do you have before we get talking to Darren Newsom for this Hashtag Market Monday? I've got some news here on the trade front, Mike. Um, President Trump, of course, had his uh, phone conversation last Thursday with President Xi. He said that he also has now issued, of course, his top cabinet members to put together a deal to basically sign or discuss at the G20 meeting here in a couple of weeks. But a lot of his cabinet members are not excited about that, including Robert Lighthizer, who is our U.S. trade representative, and Larry Kudlow apparently made a statement saying, okay, there's no mass movement. There's no huge thing. We're not on the cusp of a deal. So it sounds like President Trump is kind of trying to, you know, hit a softball out of the park, but the rest of the team is not on board yet. Yeah, maybe that statement got a little out in front of the skis Mm -hmm. there. I'd say. Well, right now, China and trade, uh, listeners, you're probably going to see a lot of headlines about it because going on in China is the China International Import Expo. Its shorthand is CIIE, and this is where a lot of foreign companies come together with Chinese buyers, and basically they try to find ways in which China and other countries, and other companies rather, can work together to grow trade. Well, Earlier today, President Xi made a speech, and he said uh, imports continue to be vital 
to China's success. He expects China to import $30 trillion worth of goods and $10 trillion worth of services in the next 15 years. And he said uh, CIIE is a major initiative by China to proactively open up its market to the world. And that comment a lot of folks are interpreting as being aimed right at President Trump, who has said repeatedly that China needs to open up a little bit more. They need mm -hmm. to allow more foreign investment to come into that country. Even though he made these comments, Xi made these comments generally in support of trade. He said they're going to lower tariff and other barriers to get more uh, more foreign goods into the country. At no point did he mention soybeans or the United States. Um, he also said earlier that he was going to continue to work with the EU on WTO, the World Trade Organization, to, uh, I don't know what they want to do, streamline it, basically make it more amenable to the uh, Chinese, because they do frequently yeah. determine things in our direction, the U.S. Yeah, I was also reading an article about uh, changes for the WTO. I'm guessing you also read that article today on Reuters, Mike. Well, yeah, bring us up to speed, though, Delaney. Yeah, I'd love to. So Argentina, Costa Rica, Japan, and the EU are all supporting a U.S.-driven effort, basically, here to enforce greater transparency and discipline through the WTO. And an updated publish, an updated proposal was published on Friday. Basically, it's going to add pressure to China and India to be more transparent about uh, what's going on in their trade. And if they don't, I believe it's if they don't um, submit notifications about their trade policies, if they don't give updated reports on what they are importing and exporting, they could get basically fines or tariffs or whatever slapped onto those countries. So it's, I guess, in a way, trying to create some transparency and uh, more fair trade relationships between those two. Because as we know, those are often the ones we see in the news that are getting slapped with like anti-dumping uh, yeah. lawsuits or fines or whatever it would be. Yeah, or non-trade barriers that are then uh, debated in the WTO. Right. And and so that's where China wants to step in with the EU and say, hey, look, we're not the bad guys. Mm -hmm. um, you know, who knows if that'll have any success. But there was another interesting speech given at the China International Import Expo, and this one was from Jack Ma. And uh, listeners, you might have heard his name a couple years ago when his company, Alibaba, went public. It's the most valuable company in Asia. It's based in China. It's basically the Chinese version of, of Google. I mean, if we think about it in the way that it's valued in the stock market. He said earlier today that, quote, the U.S.-China trade war is the most stupid thing in this world. He said these two countries are important to each other. Can China, excuse me, China's shift to an import model is, quote, going to be a huge pain for a lot of businesses, but it is going to make a good opportunity for a lot of consumers. As China imports more stuff from overseas, he sees it being a favorable thing for their consumers, just like it has been for the U.S. As we import lots of stuff, consumers mm -hmm. have gotten better deals. I guess that makes sense. I yeah. like the quote, though, about... Uh, it's the most stupid thing yeah, in this world. Yeah, most stupid thing in this world. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like yeah, something I'm, you say. Exactly. I'm with you, Jack Ma. <laughs> I'm with you. This is uh, a problem in search of a problem, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, just I. this is the last piece of China-related trade news I have here. Um, we uh, have confirmation now, of course, that we're going to get a second tranche of payments from the USDA. 
But according to Deputy Ag Secretary Steve Sensky, they might change the calculations or the way that they calculated rates of payment for the second tranche. They said in the first one, we didn't take into account uh, to adjust for basis. And so for the second round, we're going to look into that. They said they haven't made final decisions yet, but they are taking that into account for the second round. Interesting. I wonder if that means there's going to be, I mean, it has to mean there's going to be a different payout based on where you are in the country. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, which seems really complicated. So I'm sure they're going to try and find a way to simplify it, but I don't know how they would. I bet they'll just go by state, you know, like they do for your CR, your ARC, your PLC payments. But uh, yeah, let's stay tuned to that topic. That is going to be an interesting one to follow as all the math gets Mm -hmm. shaken out because I can almost guarantee there's going to be fights over who gets what. Oh, yeah. Well, Delaney, we have resolved the dispute over which agency will regulate cell-based meat products. We have. What is it? Which one? Uh, Both. USDA and FDA are going to come together. The FDA is going to conduct a pre-market approval of any cell cultured meat product, which is what they do for pharmaceuticals and so forth. And then the USDA will take over when those products move into production. Mm -hmm. So basically, listeners, think about it like this. The FDA is going to decide if cell-based meat is safe. If they decide it's safe, then they're going to kick it over to USDA, who's going to go into the labs and make sure that they're producing it under standards that are, you know, clean and wholesome and so on. So this is, let me just back up here for a second. So you're saying FDA is going to basically assess whether or not they should allow cell cultured meat at all in the marketplace, or they're just going to go um, like case by case basis of whether that product in particular is safe. I think it's a case by case. I think if you okay. want to, if you're Memphis Meats and you're brewing up your your meat cocktail in a lab, you're going to have to submit it to the FDA. They're going to do tests and so forth, and mm-hmm. I assume sample it. I guess I don't know how else you decide it whether or not it's safe. Mm-hmm. And then each product is going to get kind of a stamp of approval. So I see okay. this as being a way to, to probably really slow down that cell based meat industry. Well. I mean, I don't know about that, but at least they're doing it in a way that makes sense to regulate it. Well, I mean, the FDA takes seven to ten years to approve oh. a new drug. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I guess I didn't so, realize I mean, it took that this, long. This isn't a drug, so I assume mm-hmm. it'll be quicker, but... Uh, How much mm, quicker, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the, it's mm-hmm. the FDA. I can't imagine they're going to be flying through, through these cases. No, I can't imagine either. Mm-mm. Well, so listeners, we will continue to follow this story as it develops. Let, uh, Delaney, right. what other news do you have for us? Well, another story that we've definitely been watching develop is the African swine fever outbreak. We now have the 50th outbreak confirmed Monday in southern Hunan province of a just a small farm, 119 pigs. But to date, we have seen 14 provinces and municipalities in China see African swine fever come to fruition since early August. So we're still continuing to watch that. Well, there we go. More African swine fever news. I think we're just going to continue to see just a trickle of stories about that for the next, I would guess, year to 18 months. Yeah, I guess you're probably right there. 
Well, I have just one other news story for us, Delaney, and this one comes from Iowa, of all places. There was the first confirmed case of corn rootworm that is resistant to Herculex. It was found mm. in a single field in Delaware County, Iowa. Uh, the NCGA is engaged with Corteva, and they're trying to make sure that appropriate and aggressive measures are taken, taken rather, to keep that seed tech viable. Uh, Bob Hemaseth, who is from up there at Decorah, uh, real close to Delaware County for listeners outside the state. He said, quote, this announcement is significant and troublesome given the potential economic implications for corn farmers, and we are going to watch it closely. So there we go, folks. Keep scouting those fields. Resistance isn't just limited to weeds. Insects can become resistant as well. All right, Mike. Well, I don't have any other news. Do you want to uh, jump over here into the markets? Absolutely, Delaney, and our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, listeners, you can put a marketing plan in place to manage your marketing risk by giving our friends at Zaner a call. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at zaner.com. And as we take a look at the markets here, we've got mixed trade in the grains. In the corn market, the December contract was up two and three quarter cents at 374 even. The March up two and a half, finished at 385 and three quarters. In soybeans, the Nove contract down two and a quarter cents at 873 even. The January down two to close at 88 at 885 and three quarters. Looking at Chicago wheat, the December contract was down one and a half cents at 507 and a quarter. The March down a penny, finished the day at 523 even. Looking over at the livestock side of the ledger, it was not a pretty day in the cattle complex. In live cattle, the Dece contract down a dollar seventy-five at 115.3250. The February down a dollar fifty-five at 120.65. In November feeders, we were limit down on the day at excuse me, down, excuse me, not limit down. We, we would have been limit down in fats and feeders. Of course, we've got the daily limit at 450. November feeders were down $3 to close at 149.50. The January contract was down 332.5 to finish at 146.4250. In lean hogs, the D's contract down $1.02.5 at 57.10. The February down 52.50 to finish at 64.12.5. And, and of course, a quick look at the dairy market. In Class 3 milk, that November contract was off 8 cents on the day at 14.70, with the December down 13 to close at 15.05. Without further ado, let's jump over to Darren Newsom for our hashtag Market Monday. Well, for today's Market Monday episode, we've got market guru and often bearish analyst Darren Newsom. Darren, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Oh, you're welcome. I was able to squeeze this into my horribly busy schedule. So, uh. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, we're lucky to have you on. You've always got great insight. Darren, let's kick it off here. I want to talk about soybeans because last week they had mm -hmm. a record week, uh, 30 cents traded over in one day. We're back here on a Monday, closed down just slightly, but where do we head from here? Just depends on what the next tweet is from the, from the well, high office. Yeah. Um, you know, realistically, you know, we're kind of, kind of in a, an interesting situation with the soybeans, um, with domestic soybeans. If we look at the, if we look at the market, which is the way I like to, this is the way I like to view things. And we look out at the forward curve, this thing shouldn't go anywhere but down. Uh, we've got a very bearish forward curve, which is the actual market fundamentals. And it's just telling us we've got a lot of soybeans and not a lot of demand. Um, what, uh, what USDA says about that this coming week 
really is irrelevant. This is what the market's telling us. And outside of getting a few tweets from the president, uh, which interesting timing just before the election to say everything's it, yeah. going well when, when there was no confirmation of that whatsoever. Uh, but then again, seasonally, this is the time of year. Door, you know, Bend doors slam shut. Soybeans tend to rally. We've seen some of that, you know, from a technical perspective. We see a few bullish signals uh, sitting out there, so that uh, you know we may be able to get a rally here over the next month, month and a half. Uh, but it's just not going to be supported fundamentally. So what that means is, it just leaves the, you know, it just leaves the, it just leaves the trap door open for this thing mm-hmm. to fall through at some point. Darren, it sounds like uh, you're almost implying there that this tweet sent out last week was a political move ahead of the elections here. Yeah, gee, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be something? Uh, yeah, that's all it was. I mean, that's all any of this is anymore. Um, you know, today we see a New York Times, a New York Times piece uh, come out talking about how farmers are struggling because of all mm-hmm. the trade wars. Really, I mean, it's been going on for two years. So right, so the day before a uh, uh, the midterm elections, the New York Times posts a story. Uh, it's it's craziness. I mean, this is all this is all done for political reasons, uh, and there's really no there's really no other purpose for it. And, 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 and this is why I enjoy looking at. This is why I like to look at the future spreads versus trying to make sense of the nonsense. Is that the market doesn't change its mind all that often? I mean, the fundamentals are still what they are, and they're still bearish regardless of what the New York Times or President Trump or anyone else has to say. Well, now, Darren, let's dive into that a little bit. You mentioned the forward curve looks bearish. For our listeners who aren't in the markets every day, what is the forward curve, and how do you know that it looks bearish? Okay, what I what I like to look, all it is is if you take the futures contracts and you look at the prices, and so you plot the prices out, say the Nove, which is in delivery now, versus the Jan and the March and the May and the July. There's your 2018-2019 forward curve from November contract out to the next July. I throw out the August and September. And what you want, and, and what you're looking at is how do those back months relate to the nearby contract? And if there's a strong carry, or in other words, if the forward curve is showing a lot higher prices uh, towards the back end as opposed to the nearby contracts, that means a great deal of carry in the market. And the stronger the carry, this is where you know I've had to sit with economists. I've had to sit with Folks who know, you know, accountants and all this under understand, and they all say the high price at the end means the market's willing to pay more, means it's bullish. Completely wrong. Absolutely wrong. 100% wrong. It's wrong. The fact that the market is paying more at the end means it's paying less now. It doesn't want, doesn't need the supply now, and that's bearish. Mm. And so the stronger the carry, the stronger the carry in the market. The more bearish, um, fundamentally, a market is. Right. The market is effectively growers can think about it as a way that the market is saying, hey, we don't want your beans. We don't want them now. We don't want them in January. Hang on to them. Maybe we'll want them here as we get out towards the summer months. But but here, here's here's what you know, here's where folks get in trouble with that. They say, okay, you're willing to pay me. You know, 60, 70 cents more out to the July. Okay, I'm not going to lock it in. I'm going to wait and I'm going to sell it out in July. Mm-hmm. What we what we also get in a strong carry market is what I like to call a down escalator market, where the contract, where the next contract comes down to the price 
where the previous contract goes off. So let's say the November goes off at what, 850 and you're sitting there at 870 with the January. January is most likely going to come down to the 850. Oh. March is going to fall suit in May. It's just a down escalator. So unless you're planning on selling that July, gaining that carry yourself, it doesn't do you any good. All it's telling you is how bearish this situation is. It's not so, saying that come July it's going to be worth, you know, 50, 60 cents more than it is today. So, Darren, let me ask you this, because I think a lot of producers are sitting at home wondering what they should be doing. If they don't have the storage on their property, should they be looking at paying for commercial storage? Well, you know, here – you know, this is this is always the this is always the question going into fall harvest where you've got corn, soybeans, you know, milo, sunflowers, all these things that you may be harvesting uh, all at the same time in your brain. Now, which ones do you store? Which one do you hold in commercial storage? Which ones do you not? The market is saying it doesn't want you to sell your your old crop soybeans now. It doesn't want you to sell your harvested soybeans now. So you can look at selling the carry and then hoping for a seasonal basis appreciation into that July contract. So you could sell it deferred, hopefully, because it's got a stronger carry than the corn market. You can say, okay, I'm going to try to play that angle. Corn, corn, excuse me, has a little weaker carry than soybeans, meaning there's a bit more demand right now. So if you're wanting to sell something, you know, sell the corn. You know, the opposite argument could be made. It's not as bearish long-term. It means they may want it better and they want more uh, down the road. What we, have to, what we have to concern ourselves with is what is the decision we have to make today? And today the market would buy your corn, is more willing to buy your corn than it is to buy the soybeans. And so that's how you have to look at it. Darren, let's talk about the corn market. You mentioned the, the fundamentals from a technical perspective look a little less bearish for producers who are making that decision. They're pulling the trigger on getting some corn sold. Would you be willing to go out to the March, say, and and buy some options? What are you doing here if you're making some corn sales? Or do you just fold the you money know, over and stick it in your pocket? You know, seasonally, again, a very similar seasonal pattern uh, in the corn market is the soybeans, both futures and cash, is that we see the market rally in here. So, you know, it, it would not be surprising to see corn try to bump up a little bit in here. And looking at my latest weekly analysis, uh, you know, Soybeans, I don't know. You can almost call it an uptrend, whereas soybean, uh, corn, you're just moving, uh, you're just moving sideways. So, uh, you know, you could buy some calls. I'm not going to spend a lot of money on calls. And you know, vol volatility is relatively cheap. Play, you know, if you're just going to make a seasonal move, you know, maybe go out and buy some March, maybe go out and buy some May calls, something like that. Seasonally, we send, we tend to post our high in June. Low volatility, you might be able to squeak out and buy some July calls. But, again, you're buying a lot of carry, uh, not as much as you would be in soybeans, but you are buying some carry out in the corn market. So you have to get the volatility right. You have to, you know, you have to decide what you want to pay. If you've already sold, you can look to renew. I'm not a huge fan of it this year. I don't see a lot of upside potential. Um, but if you just want to make a seasonal low volatility play, yeah, it's there. I mean, it's there, you know, possibly to jump in on. Darren, let's talk about the wheat markets here for a bit, because I know you're also a wheat guy. The December contract hovering right above the $5 mark here. Do you expect us to stay at these levels or push a little higher here with some of the export news we've been having recently? Yeah, I think, I think the market's going to go down, actually. Okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> of it's, course it's, you do. <laughs> well, <laughs> of course I do. I mean, what, what else would be new for me? Um, <laughs> 
you know, so I, I just can't help but think that we're still pretty bearish, uh, fundamentally, technically, on the wheat market. You know, as I look at the as I look at the cash, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of moving sideways right now uh, in the in the wheat, but I can't help but think that we're going to get a breakdown. Um, there's just really not a lot of reason to be bullish. I know there's some export news, but what are we comparing it against? We're comparing mm-hmm. it against no export news. Uh, so we can hold off on sales. You know, I don't see anything getting overly. I don't see any reason to get overly excited uh, about making new crop sales at this point. Let's wait. Let's wait a little bit on that. Uh, but I also don't see if I'm still holding wheat. I have to look in the mirror and ask myself why. Why am I still holding last year's crop? Uh, market certainly isn't saying it's going to be a good play long term. But again, Darren, there's that carry in the market. If I am holding last year's crop, do I get in there, look late spring into summer, go ahead, lock that in today, and at least get it off my balance sheet? Well, yeah. If you are holding, if you are holding, and and in 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 theory, this all makes sense. But realistically, very few wheat farmers are still holding wheat. So I mean, this okay. is more of a theoretical discussion than anything else. But let's say there is some folks out there still holding some winter wheat, even some spring wheat, and you see the carry out there. Yeah, you, I mean, you can go out to the May contract, which is kind of a psychotic contract. It's a little like <laughs> September corn. Uh, doesn't know if it's old crop, if it's new. Uh, but you can go out to the May. You can try to, uh, you know, you try to lock some in, take advantage of the carry, uh, and then wait. The only problem is basis really doesn't appreciate all that much, so you're you know, you're locking it in and not expecting basis to do much, uh, particularly in the wheat market, unless we, lo and behold, are able to build some export demand over the next mm-hmm. four to five months. I'm not anticipating that, that crazier things have happened. Uh, you know, I guess I guess it could happen. Cubs I think that's as bullish as Darren Newsom has been on the podcast yet. <laughs> crazier things have happened. <laughs> oh. Darren, we have some crazy things happening in the livestock markets today. I want to start here with the feeder cattle. Not limit down on the day, but definitely in the red. What's going on there? Well, we, we saw the trends roll over uh, in, in, the, in the livestock. Um, you know, let's look at the feeder cattle. Um, you know, it's been giving some signs that it was probably, that its recent uptrend was probably coming to an end. Uh, I think we could still see some pressure. I'm not as convinced that the live cattle is going to remain under pressure. I think we're just moving into some weather issues. You know, like mm-hmm. live cattle always like to, to, uh, to you know, look at this November, December time frame, no beast jam time frame for weather. So, I, you know, I, I think, I think uh, the, the live cattle can hold together a little bit, but you know, as I look at the weekly charts and the feeders, I wasn't as impressed with those, and it certainly looked like it was getting ready to roll over a bit. Now, Darren, before we let you go, of course, we've got to talk the lean hog markets. That's been one of the drivers here. We've heard African swine fever. Delaney brought up some more stories about that today. We've got USMCA, the NAFTA 2.0. We've got trade again with Mexico. Of all of these issues, I mean – there's a ton of carry in that market. How much of that is seasonal, that 57 in the D's out to, what, almost 70 in the April, versus how much of this is being driven by trade news and other issues? Our market's insane, and so as long as that's our <laughs> starting point, uh, you know, we all, we're all on the same page. Um, I, I really wouldn't want to touch this, uh, this hog market right now. Uh, to me, 
technically it looks like it's got a double top. What does that mean in other markets? It would mean that the market's getting ready to go down. In hogs, that means nothing. It just means that it could blow through there on a limit up day. Is it being driven by trade? Trade rumors, uh, trade scuffles, all of these things, yeah, it's going to continue to play out in the hog market. If this is going to shock everybody, if I'm going to play the hog market, it's probably going to be from the bear side. Yeah, I know. I'll let that sink in for a moment. Um, but to me, it looks like it's put a double top in looking at the beast contract. To me, it looks like it may want to go down for a while. All right. Darren Newsom, before we let you go, how can folks interact with you if they have more questions now that you're on your own? The easiest way to interact with me is to find me on Twitter, and that's basically what I do all day now is <laughs> chat with folks on Twitter. Welcome to the club, uh, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's my life now, um, you know, at least for the time being. Uh, so that's probably the easiest way is just to go, just to go find me on Twitter and uh, send questions, comments. I get plenty of those. Uh, and then we can visit about markets and just about anything else that comes to mind. And, Darren, what is your Twitter handle? I believe it's just Darren Newsom. Uh, okay. That's a, really great, that's a great question, Delaney. <laughs> uh, I really don't even know. Uh, I think it's just, yeah, it's just uh, at Darren Newsom. All right. Uh, pretty straightforward. All right. Darren Newsom, thank you so much. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on again, guys. Well, folks, there you have it. Darren Newsom at Darren Newsom on Twitter. Delaney, I'm glad, glad you were able to drag <laughs> that out of him. Hey, that's my job. you got to be a good reporter, Mike. Darn get those right. answers. That's, that's why we keep you on the team. I'm a thinker and a talker. You're a reporter slash journalist. Sure. Yeah, we'll go with well, that. Well, folks, if you want more of our fantastic dynamic duo on the Ag News Daily Podcast, Delaney, where should they go to get more of it? They can head to our website, agnewsdaily.com. They can also interact with us on Twitter and on Facebook. We uh, had official confirmation today that Oscar Meyer said the hot dog is a sandwich. So we, like to share, we like to share fun stuff like that, too, on our Twitter and Facebook. So uh, please interact with us there. I'll with believe that, it when Mike. Ballpark Franks comes out and says it's a sandwich. <laughs> well, that's the Oscar Meyer official news. Well, Delaney, but, with that news, should we let the people go? <laughs> Let's let them go.